Hi everybody, Drake Hill here. Natural hair is hard. I read that recently in an Essence article which features experts and black women discussing the recent return to chemical relaxers and traditional sew-ins. Challenging? Yes. Often requires lots of work? Yes. Hard? Hell no. The stigma attached to our hair makes me so mad. This is why I do hair how I grew it and why I am really excited about this episode. It is long overdue. I wanted to interview today's guest during season one, but she asked me to wait so she could do a badly needed hair reset, a.k.a. Big Chop. Now her natural is back and healthier than ever. Get ready for another entertaining and empowering conversation. If you are enjoying this program, buy me a coffee. That's an app that allows you to donate to creators like me to help us stay afloat. Hair How I Grew It has been a one-woman production since I started it in 2019. In addition to hosting and producing the show, I write, edit, conduct the interviews, do the marketing, and everything else necessary to keep the number one natural hair podcast on the web available to you free of charge. I do it gladly because it's a labor of love, but it is also a grind. So please help a sister out. Donate today at buymeacoffee.com slash drakeheal. That's buymeacoffee.com slash dr. A-K-E-E-L. Hair, How I Grew It starts right now. You haven't seen the ends of your hair since August. You haven't been able to care for yourself properly. I'm talking about hair, body, anything else. You've been under so much stress and so much pressure at work and with other things that you haven't taken care of your hair or anything else properly. What's your hair actually look like now? What's the curl pattern? Do you even know anymore? So I just took some scissors, just some, some, I've got some barber scissors. So I just came upstairs to heel and got into the, the bathroom and cut all my hair. So at the end of maybe 10 minutes or so, I've got a bowl full of synthetic hair in my hair and I look in the mirror, I'm like, yes, I'm free. So I just cut, I cut everything out, all the stress, all the hair, all the knots, all the tangles. I just said, well, you know, this pandemic is clearly an opportunity to pause and reset. Welcome to Hair, How I Grew It. I'm host and producer Drake Hill Burns. I started this podcast because black hair matters. On today's show, I interview my Delta Sigma Theta sorority sister, Nichelle Smith. Nichelle is the enterprise editor for Racism and History at USA Today. Saying Nichelle and Enterprise in the same sentence makes me think of Star Trek and the actor who portrayed Lieutenant Hohora in the original series. When I brought that to the Indiana native's attention, she said she was named after actor Nichelle Nichols. Before we start, just I'm just so happy for you. This podcast is doing great. You know, 
Yeah, and you just kept at it. You just persevered. So I wanted you to know that, Soror. Ah, uh, thank you, Soror. Hearing that meant a lot because Nichelle is a talented journalist. Past hair, how I grew it. Guest Caroline Brewer introduced me to Nichelle about ten years ago when we were all living in the Washington D.C. metro area. Since then, I've watched Nichelle's impressive resume grow. She is the leader of several award-winning projects at USA Today. Projects that include 1619: The Search for Answers, which is available at 1619.usatoday.com. She also led the team responsible for the investigative series Never Been Told: The Lost History of People of Color, which is available at neverbeentold.usatoday.com. Nichelle's hair journey began in Gary, Indiana. She and her younger brother grew up there in the 70s and 80s. Their parents were a part of the first generation of Black people who worked for AT&T and other public utilities and government agencies, thanks to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Both started at the local AT&T office. Mom worked her way up to the manager's clerk position. Dad left the AT&T office. Finished college and eventually became a supervisor at the Chicago office of the U.S. Department of Education. Before Nichelle and I talked about hair, I had to ask her about Gary's most famous native, Michael Jackson. I had seen him and his brother and brothers in in concert at the Rosemont Horizon. That was my first big concert when I was twelve, and and I just knew Michael was all mine, especially since his grandmother was rumored to live down the street. So I, there was always me doing a Michael Jackson sighting, and I I found that confirmed that through my brother that yes, indeed, that was their grandmother down the street, and I was like, how come we never saw them? And he told me that neighbors said that they would always arrive in the middle of the night sometime, you know, long after we were asleep. So I, I felt a little bit cheated by that. But, you know, I, I guess it's OK. There were other good things about growing up in, in Gary that that were wonderful. Just that sense of community, being on that block where everybody took care of everybody else's children and walking to school with a, a just a ton and ton and ton of kids from all over the place. Um, so I have fond, fond memories. It, it's one of the blackest cities in the nation. And we were all very proud, proud of ourselves, proud to have um, Richard Gordon Hatcher as one of the first mayors, first black mayors of an American major city. Um, so it was a time of, of pride and self-respect and um, just a wonderful upbringing. Now, let's talk hair. Nichelle describes hers as soft and glossy. Her crown tends to frizz and shrink in steamy weather. There's a lot of it, not nearly as much of it as there used to be, but there's a lot of it, but each and every strand is rather thin, so it's deceptive. I find that sometimes hairstylists want to throw the strongest thing they have at it, and then once they begin going through the texture, they, they realize that it's looser and finer, and more fragile than they think it is. My hair texture is 
this glorious mix of really tight textures in the top of my hair, really loose textures in the front and sides of my hair. And then I always tell people, I don't know what in the world's going on in the back. It does what it feels like doing. Um, I have ringlets that range in, in size from a marker down to a crochet needle if, if we're doing the Andre Walker um, school of of um, hair sort of of description of everything. Today, Nichelle typically wears her shoulder-length mane in a twist-out or bantu knots. See her hair evolution on the Hair How I Grew It Instagram page at Keep It Nat. Mom kept Nichelle's hair natural early on. It didn't have the glorious mix of textures or thickness, so she didn't have a tough time managing it. Mom usually parted it down the middle and styled it into two ponytails, loosely twisted with barrettes at the end. Then Nichelle's hair changed, and Mom had to adjust. When I was a little bit older, uh, maybe between 10 and, 10 and 12, um, again, I don't think it was that I was tender-headed as much as that's when my hair really started to, to grow thicker and longer and the texture became a, a, a bit tighter than what she was used to. So yeah, there was a little bit more um, pulling and tugging. There were those days, I, I'm sure you recall them sitting in the kitchen with that hot comb going over the, the stove, the gas stove, and pressing the hair out so on a Saturday so that you could be looking nice for, for Sunday when, when you go. So there were some instances of me not quite liking that, feeling that it was pulling too much and, and tearing too much, and her getting a little frustrated because the natural hair that had worked so well was turning into something else, I think, as I was approaching puberty. Uh, so we did have a little, little back and forth tussle. It, it, was, it was painful if you forget to hold your ear down like you're supposed to when, when mom is, is hot combing. And that was the point at which I decided to take matters into my own hair. So I was about 12 and I learned how to press my own hair. Were you able to master it? I mean, did you think you were doing a good job at some point with your press and curl? I thought I was. I, I'm looking back at pictures because you've asked me for pictures. I was thinking back to, to pictures of myself in in high school. And I'm like, wow, you know, your curls were just bouncing and behaving. So I thought I did a pretty good job with, with it. And then I'd follow it up with all the tools you can imagine. Um, you know, I'd, I'd use the, the, the satin press from Afrosheen to press it out. And then, then you curl it with a curling iron and um, touch it up a couple times a week. I definitely had to touch mine up because the slightest humidity, mine was reverting. So there would be times when, when my hair would seem to be going back, reverting back to curly as soon as I got finished with the second half of it. So now, satin press. What what is that? Satin press. That that's a, a sort of a cream concoction. Okay, that you put on and then you press it out. Yeah, put put on okay. close, close to the scalp. Okay. Um, a, a lot of people are going to rem remember those those little small triangular shaped 
jars of things from Afro Afro Shane. There was one to put on the ends, and there was the satin the satin cream press. I think you can still buy it. As a matter of fact, I might have a jar for that once in a while occasion. And it was basically just this really thick, almost beeswax type of concoction. But you you would put it on and then press your hair. You're basically pressing this oil into your hair, but it would stay straight, straighter than anything else we knew back at the time. Nichelle mentioned Afro Sheen when she talked about the satin press. She emailed me after our interview to correct herself. She meant Ultra Sheen. The relaxer comes in around eighth grade, ninth grade. When I'm I'm going to to high school and I'm wanting to be like everybody else. And I'm and I'm also at this point really insecure about how I look. I mean, I was a, I was a chubby kid, kid not not a fat child, but a chubby one. In a time when childhood chubbiness was not necessarily approached as a medical issue or societal issue, it, it was sort of a you personally um, have a different body shape than other kids. So I'm so I'm already dealing with that kind of struggling with that and struggling with with being a child who develops womanhood, womanly features a bit earlier than other than other kids. So so I think with me having my hair relaxed was one step closer to feeling more as if I fit in with everybody. I mean, it's an interesting um, point in in history, I think, the um, 70s and 80s, because we were getting those messages from Jesse Jackson and Shirley Chisholm and everybody else that Black was beautiful and people were wearing the Afros and the dashikis and you saw the the, um, Afro Sheen commercials and and all of that and on, on Soul Train. So you have that, but then... There's also a, a much more conservative um, day-to-day situation, which I, I think I was in growing up in, in Gary, to where it's like, yeah, you know, Black is beautiful, but that's revolutionary, a revolutionary way, way of thought. And just your average God-fearing day-to-day Black person, you know, you're going to conform and everybody's going to have a relaxer. And I mean, this was taught to us uh, in a way by people who in the 60s would have been wearing wigs over their natural hair. I mean, certainly my mother and all of her friends were among that group that where everybody wore a wig and a, and a straight hair wig. Some of them were, were, were beautiful. My mother took beautiful photos in her wig, but then I, I saw her with her natural hair. Um, in a picture from high school, her natural hair is like like down her down her back and very straight. So I'm like, why are you bothering to even wear a wig? And she said, well, that's just what we did then. So so similarly, that's what we did um, in the '80s. Everybody had to have that that pressed out, relaxed mullet. And if your hair wasn't getting there with the hot comb on the stove, then there were many many boxes of relaxers to use. You're listening to Hair, How I Grew It. I'm host and producer Drake Hill Burns. Today, I'm talking to Nichelle Smith. She is the Enterprise Editor for Racism and History at USA Today. More hair talk in a bit. First, here's an excerpt from my book, Cleveland's Crown Angels. It's a supernatural adventure rooted in my natural hair journey. 
naked, bald, and possessing the strength of an average man, I stood before the woman I'd murdered, more vulnerable than I'd ever been in my existence. How? How am I alive? She resembled the walking dead. Her Medusa lock travesties, sunken empty eyes, and charred gray hue were repulsive, but her bare curvy body and voluptuous breasts spoke to the animal in me. My body hadn't forgotten how she felt on the inside. I wanted her badly. How, she taunted as she zeroed in on the hardened evidence of my excitement, pre-cum I hadn't felt since before B.C. seeped out. My body was betraying me. Cleveland's Crown Angels is available as an ebook on Amazon. Mom put box relaxers in Nichelle's hair at home, but she didn't do it often, probably three to four times a year for special occasions. Since the perms were so infrequent, Nichelle would still use a hot comb when her hair would frizz and revert back to its natural state. When I asked Nichelle about chemical burns, she recalled a time when someone else did her hair. I do remember going to a beauty school, um, not not far on Fifth Avenue in, in Gary, kind of around the corner, and down a little bit from from our house. I, I walked over to the beauty school, probably with um, the woman across the street who babysat us. We walked over there because she got her hair done over there, and I remember one of the students put a relaxer in, and I remember it burning. And I said, you know, my my hair is burning. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how old I was at, at this point. I maybe. I think I'm all over the place with you, right, frankly. So I think this might have been a little bit, bit earlier. It might have been, been in junior high. The first time I remember a chemical burn. Um, so, so I, I remember telling the woman, "My hair is burning. My hair is burning." And and she just kind of patted it a little bit and said, "Said it needs about about five ten more minutes." And I'm like, "My hair is. My head is burning." Um, so she took it. She took it out, um, combed it out. It felt like she was taking a steel rake through my head because my scalp was just that tender. And and she washed everything out. I believe she washed it out fairly thoroughly. Uh, but again, we're at a at a beauty school, so you know there there's no telling what her skill level was. And I got home and it looked great, but it began to scab up. My scalp began to scab scab up in the next couple of days. And I remember my mother wondering what in the world happened up at this beauty school that my hair was scabbing. I think she went and actually asked questions of the woman and I'm not sure what the resolution of it was, but that was was what I remember in terms of, of the burning of it. And that would help happen frequently enough over the next, probably next decade or so to where I sort of accepted that there was going to be some burning. I accepted being tender-headed, and I accepted pain having to come along with um, what we perceive of as beauty. Michelle grew up in the 80s, so you know we had to talk about the jerry curl, and yes, she had one. That became really big in in high school as well. That was, and, and if we'd known 
then what we know now about our hair texture, then I think we would have realized that most of us didn't really need a Jerry Curl. That statement blew me away because it's sad and true. There were a lot of folks back then with Jerry Curls whose naturals mimicked the curl without the drip drip. But like Nichelle, they didn't know that then. Fortunately, Nichelle did have access to some black hair education that helped. I remember having a book by Naomi Sims, and I think I still have it, as a matter of fact. You know, she was the supermodel who had some of the first um, early magazine covers and had her own wig line. And she had a book that was all about hair and hair texture. And she was the early pioneers of, of talking about that. And I remember my mother giving me this book because she knew that I was struggling with it, with hair and conformity and identity. So she gave, she gave me this book and I remember reading it religiously. I still have it. It's still one of the Bibles. And she broke down what was coarse hair, what was medium hair, what was, was straight hair and, and what the patterns were. And I began from that to begin to, to take my little allowance and buy my own shampoo and, and hair conditioner and, and other implements to do my hair. But, so it wasn't so much that you were thinking about, you know, starting your natural journey, but it certainly gave you the tools to at least know how to take care of your hair, to be empowered in that. Is that fair to say? Exactly. Absolutely fair fair to say. It's, it's one of those books that, that's that's on my shelf and that I'll, I'll never throw away. It's just the no nostalgia factor. It, it really helped me take care of my hair better and help. And I think it helped me and probably other girls as well think more kindly toward our hair and, and ourselves. You know, if you realize that they're, that you're not by yourself struggling and why can't you have your hair be as long and straight as Angelina's is and, and you're reading this book and now you finally understand because you have a completely different hair texture. You have to take care of yours completely differently. Back to the Jerry Curl. Nichelle got her first one in the ninth grade. She recalls her mom using the Proline Curly Kit brand on her hair at home. In 10th or 11th grade, Nichelle decided to go back to the relaxer so she could get her hair cut into a mullet. Then senior year, another Jerry Curl. But this time, Nichelle didn't like it. I think I was starting to appreciate my natural texture a little bit more. Okay. And I think I think that because of the amount of processing you had to do for it for the Jerry curl and the amount of of curl, you know, activator and waving and and oil you had to put on and, and you just just like you've you've seen those those movies and we laughed at them where where somebody leaves curl juice all over the 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 seat or something like that. That was that was very real because it, it, you just had oil basically all over the place and it was just it was messy and it was complicated. Years of applying chemicals and pressing damaged Nichelle's hair. Dry, brittle, some breakage, it was bad. And prom and cotillion were coming up. So your hair had to be on point to do all these activities. And mine absolutely was not. So, so it was at a point of desperation and, 
and I talked to my mom about what to do about the hair. And, and we thought, well, well, maybe let Liz permit. Liz was the white stylist mom had been going to for a while. She worked at a mostly white suburban salon located between Chicago and Gary. And it's probably a direct influence of my mother's co-workers. She worked with people of, of all races. And I think during, during that sort of um, natural um, friendships and cultural exchanges that she made, she came across a woman who just said she happened to be white. She did an excellent job, so why not? Not only did she do an excellent job, the price was right, about 50 bucks, and the shell was in and out in about 45 minutes, which is unheard of in black salons where most sisters spend hours getting our hair done. What did Nichelle's peers think about her going to a white woman for a relaxer? She said they were surprised initially, but didn't think much about it because... Many of my friends saw my hair as being... Um, in the in in the quote unquote good category, so they didn't necessarily characterize my hair in the same way that they did theirs. If, if that if that makes sense to you, it did make sense, and it also made me cringe to hear because the good hair bad hair talk has done so much damage to our community. But we talked about it anyway because it is a part of our history. Hint, hint to the folks who don't want critical race theory taught in schools. And, and I hate going there too, but, but, but I, and I only bring that up to say that that's part of our miseducation about who we were ever since we got off of, of slave ships and were made to cover our natural hair texture and to be, a, be ashamed of it. And, and through our history, not really understanding that we came over uh, from Africa with different hair textures. Um, not, nothing, somehow during the stereotyping and the generalization of us as black women, we got to the idea that black hair e equals bad, equals coarse, equals very tight, equals unmanageable. Good hair is the complete opposite of all of them. It seemed to me that, that in some instances, my concerns about my hair would be a, a bit dismissed. Be like, oh, Nikki, you just got good hair anyway. So, you know, you don't have the same problems that I'm having with my hair. So there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of criticism, but then there wasn't necessarily an outlet for me to discuss my hair with, uh, with people of similar texture. You know, we just didn't didn't do that. Black hair was universally bad, and people who had bad hair went and dealt with that separately. And people like me, who supposedly had had good hair, just weren't even part of that conversation. For the record, Nichelle didn't see her hair as good. It was a lot of work. It was hard for me to keep up with it because because yeah, while it's wet, it looks nice and 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 wavy and you know every everything that is supposedly desirable in a predominantly white world but 
it dries tight like everybody else's hair. It needs oil, it needs care, it needs maintenance. And again, with, with the frizziness in the summer, that's the main reason I think that drove me to relaxers and, and jerry curls and chemicals generally, because there was no combating the, the Midwestern summer that just suddenly goes from a nice cool spring to, to hot as Mississippi in about five minutes. And then you can do nothing with it for three or four months. You're listening to Hair, How I Grew It. I'm host and producer Drake Hill Burns. More with Nichelle Smith after a short break. Liz, the white hairstylist, really came through for Nichelle's big formal events. She cut off the remaining jerry curl, then relaxed and styled Nichelle's hair. It looked great for prom. It looked better for cotillion. And this is like June of of my senior year by then. And then um, right after all these activities, it promptly all fell out of my hair because it was just too much. You mean your hair fell out or it just went... Yes, my my hair just just started to break off and just come out. It was it, of my head. It was just like enough, you know, stop torturing me. So I had to do a big chop right after high school, I, that summer, summer after high school. And I was going to college. I went to college early. I went to Purdue University for an engineering program um, that summer before I started college. And I couldn't, I couldn't go with this, this broken mess and my hair all, all falling out. So again, back to Liz, you know, Liz, the perm didn't, didn't work and my hair is a mess. Can you just shave it all off? Which she did. So she did that before you, before you went to school, before you went to college. Yes. That was my first big chop before they even called it a big chop. And when I got it done, it was, it was funny because you know how high school girls talk and everybody's critiquing everybody else's hair and, and other particulars all the time. So when I got when I got it chopped, everybody was like, oh, it's so cute. And your hair is just so little swirly and curly. And I don't think I had had seen my natural hair texture since I was a little girl. And of course, when I was a little girl, I didn't, didn't even know to take note of natural hair texture versus anything else. Did Nichelle like it? I was like, wow, because because I, I had a pretty nice head shape. You know, I, I, I had never seen a nat- my, the natural shape of my head, the natural texture of my hair. So I was just fascinated with it. And so you, you know, liked it. Yeah, I, I liked it. And I and I, I felt you know, that, that was um, one of those times in life where I could say I, I felt free because I, I had just never, hair had always been such a big deal among the women I knew, whether, whether it was good or bad, whether it was straight or not straight enough or, or jerry curled or not curled enough. It was always the biggest deal. It was like the only thing that was going on was what your hair was like, what it would do. And now none of those options were 
feasible. None of them were available to me. There was no option other than here, this is what God put on your head. This is how your hair texture is. And you're going to have to just not deal with hair, but deal with yourself for a while until the hair grows back out. Okay, before we jump to college and you're feeling good about the hair, um, where is dad in all of this? I mean, is he at home? Is he looking at you and your mom doing all this hair stuff? Like, what is wrong with you people? Or he just stayed out of it? <laughs> dad, dad's role in all of this is basically to to say, I think your hair looks good. <laughs> Pretty much, no matter what, what we came in with. He didn't necessarily have have um, a strong opinion about about it his strong opinions were probably more more reserved for for mom than, than anything else but but he he enjoyed when my hair was longer so in my my sophomore year when when I, my hair was was shoulder length and perm you know he thought he thought that was pretty but basically me being me being a daddy's girl he, he was okay with with whatever I, I did. Um, the the baldness kind of took him by surprise, you know. It, it's you know, the very very short afro, you know. Now he he would have characterized that as, as bald, so I do remember that being surprising for for him because because women had long hair, you know. His 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 wife mom had had really long hair when he met her, so it it was different. It was new. Um, he understood all the technicalities behind it. You know, my hair was was coming out not in great shape, but I think he was a little bit relieved when it started growing back out. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Did anyone else Nichelle knew wear a natural back then? When I think about those who did not have processes processes in their hair, I'm thinking about one particular girl who um was who was african she she was half african half african-american and again this is before there was a huge amount of african immigration in the country so even for her to be among among us and be and be african was an unusual thing and she had natural hair now her her hair was um, natural and it was of a wavier texture than people might assume black hair would would be and i don't i don't recall um many people saying anything um one way or the other toward her um it, it was basically you know oh she's african and it, it really speaks a lot to how disconnected we were then to our own roots that we didn't really think didn't really think to ask or thought that that her Africanness was was something strange and something apart from what we were. So I don't think that that anybody really questioned her hair. Since everyone in the community saw that girl as somewhat of a hair unicorn, her look had no bearing on what Nichelle considered a temporary situation. I had to chop it off and everybody was like, oh, it looks cute. You know, but it was all all with, with the sense of, you know, you no, know, it's going to be nice when it grows back out. 
you know, and there was always an expectation that it was going to grow back out and, and then I'd get it relaxed and then everything would go back to where it was supposed to be. So this was an, an anomaly. This was, was a necessity because of the chemical processes. And, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one who had to chop all her hair off because of, because of chemicals, but nobody expected that to be permanent. And I would say that I wore my hair like that probably three years it, it got me through it got me through one change of schools because I I discontinued going to Purdue University I, I transferred over to Indiana University in Bloomington during that time period and I still had my hair natural and I was still pressing it uh, so so it, it's it's not as if I'm even wearing the natural curl pattern I'm waiting until it gets long enough till I can start pressing it so that it looks semi-straight. And, and I'm pressing it with all of the issues that, that I brought up before, um, it, it being relatively thin texture and, and frizzy and having to do a lot with it. So I'm taking an awful lot of time to straighten it out. And, and two strand, the, the phenomenon of two strand twisting, no, I don't think anybody had ever heard of that. Um, back in the in the late 80s, um, there was just not something that you did. If, if your hair was was natural, then you pressed it out. So I went through probably two or three years of pressing it when it got long enough, and having it not quite look as straight as the women who had their hair done done um, in relaxers or had it, had it permed in, in a shop. Nichelle distinctly remembered a black girl in her dorm whose mane was always bone straight and looked better than everyone else's because she went home to Indianapolis often to get touch-ups. And as a result, she didn't understand what was going on with Nichelle's hair. While the rest of Nichelle's dorm mates didn't give her the side eye like that girl did, they wondered too, and her friend from Gary was the most vocal. There came a time when it, it had grown out, again, my typical shoulder length. It had grown out and I, and I had friends up and down the hallway. And one of them was just really big on, you know, when are you gonna get it relaxed? When are you, it's so straight, it's so long. When are you gonna get it relaxed? And, and she was just really determined and adamant. And I spent a year maybe waffling back and forth because at the same time that I'm wearing natural hair, I'm also cleansing in a different sort of way. I'm getting my diet together. I'm losing that 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 chubby girl weight and, you know, making different choices with, with my hair. It's one, it was one of my first rebirth transformation cycles. So the hair was part of it. So when I got good and ready, she had a stylist that she was going to this friend of mine from Gary. And we went over to this stylist and he permed my hair. I remember sitting there and it didn't hurt. I, I, it's, you know, he didn't burn my hair or anything. In fact, it, it was, I remember it being a very pleasant experience because I was jazzed at how, at how long and healthy my hair had become. And I remember sitting in the, in the chair after he had, and I'm like, wow, this is pretty. But at the same time, it was very foreign at that point because I'd worn my hair natural for long enough to where I was used to that denser 
curlier texture. So now it was me wearing a relaxer again and that feeling like it wasn't even part of my hair. But she kept it anyway. Remember, this was the late 80s and the second wave of the natural hair movement hadn't started yet. Nichelle graduated from IU with a degree in journalism and music. In 1990, she moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and started working as a copy editor at the Fort Wayne News Sentinel. A transplant, Nichelle had a tough time finding stylists she trusted to do her perms consistently in the Summit City. So her hair suffered again, more damage, then an unexpected opportunity. Fort Wayne had a community theater, which Nichelle performed in. When the group did a hair production, a local hair show organizer wanted the performers to do the skit in his show. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, what, what's our payment? And, you know, he, he was really coming up short in terms of money to pay us. So I said, well, you know, he can, he can pay me in a hairstyle. I'll just come afterwards and, and get my hair done. So we, we did the skit. And it's funny, the skit was all about hair. It's from a piece called The Colored Museum. And this was um, a group of, of um, styrofoam heads with wigs on them that were talk that would talk to each other. And, and um, there, there was, so there was a big skit about us, you know, all, all putting on this white face makeup so we could be, be these styrofoam wig heads and um, having these wigs on our head and, and acting out this skit for the hair show. So, so once it was over, I went to his shop and, and got the perm done and didn't like it. I didn't like it because it was, it was one of those avant-garde kind of lopsided hairstyles, and I wasn't necessarily sure that he had known what he was doing, actually. While living in Fort Wayne, Michelle found a braider and started experimenting with African braid extensions. But the braiding process caused more problems. Sometimes when they burn the ends of it, they, they would fuse it to my actual hair. So by the time I took it down, I would come out with with hair that was damaged because I had to to take the I had to to cut the ends to get it out of my natural hair. After a few years, Nichelle returned home to work at the Post-Tribune for a year. Liz, the white hairstylist, had moved on by then, so Nichelle went to black salons in the area for touch-ups. Then the Gary native moved to Dayton, Ohio, to work for the Dayton Daily News and tried braids again, but this time a different kind. So I decided that I would experiment with that for a while because it was difficult for me to to again as a as a transplant again, it's difficult for me to to find consistent hair care and just somebody that I gelled with enough to visit regularly. So there was a woman in a JC Penny salon in Centerville, Ohio, who had done my relaxer once and then she she talked to me about how she was interested in braids and so was I. And she would be learning how to do braids because people had been asking about it. And it would be a new skill to add to the salon, the ability to do braids. And it was, was one of the things, I was one of the few Black clients 
And she was the only black stylist at that particular JCPenney. So that'll be a way for her to, to, to build her client base as well. So we decided, okay, next time, instead of me coming in to get a relaxer, I'll come in and I'll get crochet braids. And for a discounted price, off of, discount off of her regular price that she would charge for it, she would use my head almost, almost like a, a, a guinea pig situation where she would experiment and use my hair to figure out how to do the crochet braids. It was an interesting period of time because it was like transitioning. I wasn't exactly doing the sort of, of African braids that, that I would be doing now, getting done now on my hair. This was the, the crochet braids where they basically braid your hair in rows and then use a latch hook or a crochet needle to just literally attach um, synthetic hair to it. So it would be long and it would be wavy and, and you could have the option of braiding some of it or not. But for the most part, this was, this was kind of an early weave almost as I, as I look back at it, just getting the crochet braids. Did you like it? I did. I, I really liked, there were things that I did not like about it. I, I liked having the braids. I liked the, the freedom of not necessarily having to manipulate hair every day, just kind of waking up with the style already done. But there were, there were, were things I didn't like about it. Obviously the takedown, if you're going to get braids, you know, nobody has figured out how, still hasn't figured out how to, to do the takedown and make it any less of, a, of an ordeal than it, it's going to naturally be. So, so I, I really enjoyed those sessions with her, but, but here was the funny thing about those, is that this was so new, and I'm in a part of Dayton that is very white. You know, I was in, in a southern, southern suburb as opposed to the city, so I'm in a in a very white part of town. Um, she's the, the black stylist. I am the black client. And it was almost as if I was in a cage at the zoo. And my stylist felt the same way because what she was doing was so, was so new. Half the black people hadn't seen it and certainly none of the white stylists had seen this. So I had, we often said we ought to charge admission while she was doing my hair. <laughs> because we'd literally be over there um, in, in her spot. There's hair all over the floor. Um, and, and she's doing her thing. And everybody would come up and stop and stare open-mouthed at, at the hair, at the texture, at what these Black women are doing, what in the world. And some would compliment it. But, but for the most part, it would be like, what in the world is going on over here? So, you know, I, I missed my chance to be a millionaire, I say, because <laughs> we didn't charge tickets. <laughs> the crochet braids worked out great. Nichelle's hair became a walking billboard. Business for her JCPenney stylist increased. And Nichelle liked the crochet braids so much that she stopped relaxing. In fact, when she moved to the Washington, D.C. metro area in 1999, Nichelle still had them in. Coming out here was such a big cultural shock. Coming from the Midwest to, to the East Coast, coming from working at 
small town newspapers, small and midtown newspapers, to now working for Black Entertainment Television, working for a magazine, just this huge, huge um, Black-owned place um, where where everything was, um, you know, glamorous, and you know, we we were able to participate in lots of events, meet lots of people that otherwise we wouldn't have met. So it it was it was quite a big change, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I knew that D.C. was Chocolate City. City it was still Chocolate City then, so I knew that there was a high likelihood of me finding somebody. Um, with a braiding solution. So I didn't worry too much about it until after I took my hair out. Nichelle didn't worry long because she saw her future. It had been a few months. I'm looking around. I'm noticing all of these beautiful women from all over the diaspora, from Africa, from the Caribbean, um, just from all over the place, and they're wearing their hair naturally. You know, they they have whether it's um, a curly afro, whether it's a a very dense Z shape afro, whether it's short, whether it's long. They're wearing their natural hair, and they're proud of it, and and happy to be doing it. And it just looked like it was so free, and nobody had anything critical to say about their hair. That was new for me, again, coming from the Midwest, where I'm, I'm in this atmosphere of conformity growing up. The fact that you can just wear your natural hair on your head, and not only is nobody really criticizing it or saying one thing or the other about it, there are salons that cater to that. There are products that you can get that are specifically for natural hair. No more relaxers. Uh, no more jerry curls, no more sitting even for the crochet braiding if you wanted. And then I began to see intricate patterns of braidings, which gave me other ideas. So I'm like, well, I'll just take this stuff out of my hair and then we'll see what happens. And I saw that my curl pattern wasn't much different from some of the women who were just walking around BET and around um, DC proper wearing their hair naturally. So I thought that I would experiment with just having it natural for a while. And I really enjoyed not having any chemicals in it, not having anybody manipulating the hair at all. And I just slowly, just little by little, uh, picking up anecdotes from people as I went along, just learned how to contend with my natural texture. And DC is where I learned about two-strand twisting and bantu knots. Um, BET was a great place to get an education, not just in how to put together magazines, because I was in a magazine um, unit, and not just for how to do a broadcast, but also um, it was it was a great place to learn more and more about our culture. Nichelle also got a lot of education by watching YouTube videos. And once she was armed with enough information, she did her own hair and has been doing it for the more than two decades that she's lived in the D.C. metro area. The Indiana native has spent more than half of those years working at USA Today. Nichelle shares her hair care routine. 
I shampoo and condition every few days because my texture is getting looser as I age and my scalp seems oilier now. I deep condition every week or so, then I apply leave-in, comb it out with wide tooth combs and or Denman's or the new rake brushes, then gel, cream, oil on the ends. I let it dry naturally and then two-strand twist it. If I twist it wet, it's very tight when I untwist it, so I usually twist it dry for a looser curl. I bantu knot the twist to sleep in with a satin scarf or head wrap. My routine, like my hair, changes with the weather. When it's cooler and drier, I use products with silicones but not shea butter. More gel in summer to combat frizz, more cream in winter to combat dry heat, and always Jamaican or Haitian black castor oil on the ends. I tend to go to Avita salons for trims every six months or so. I'm hoping to step that up now that COVID has subsided somewhat. Otherwise, I snip the very ends myself when I feel that they're not absorbing products. The products I'm using now are Tracy Ellis Ross's Pattern Shampoo and Medium Conditioner, Myel's Rosemary Mint Shampoo and Deep Conditioner. In the winter, I like Comet Biologics Amla and Olive Heavy Cream and Mazzani Rose H2O for the summer months. Weed Ad's Advanced Climate Control Heat and Humidity Gel is great all year long and so is the new Melanin Twist Cream. I use Tropical Living and Creole Essence Oils, and I'm hoping to get back to Jamaica next spring and score some homemade black castor oil. I wore braids a lot before COVID and plan to do so again. I've used dye a few times, and I plan to do that again as well. I do recall we were supposed to do this interview a while ago, and there was some <laughs> hair mishap. So what, ha- what happened? <laughs> I, I what happened? I don't know if, if there was a mishap as much as I just cut it all off. <laughs> so I remember tell, telling you one time, like, well, I, I, would, I would do the interview, but I no longer have any hair. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what had happened was <laughs> um, USA Today's 1619 Project is, is, is what is what happened. And this was, was what we were consumed with in 2019. And part of that involved going back to Africa. And for me, I went a couple times. I went, first of all, to Angola as um, to lead the reporting trip. The second time, Nichelle went to Nigeria for a writer's conference. The stress of coordinating the reporting trip and going back to the motherland twice in a relatively short period of time took a lot out of Nichelle. To make matters worse, she noticed her hair was shedding. So before going back to Africa the second time for the writer's conference, she got braids. And, you know, that was a great trip. Didn't have to worry about hair, didn't have to deal about hair. But when I got back, there was unprecedented demand for us as a group. And and here I stop and I I always shout out Jared Henderson, our videographer, and Deborah Barfield-Berry, our lead reporter on the the project. Um, They are my, my partners in crime. We had taken... Wanda Tucker, one of the descendants of the first Africans to land in what's now Virginia. We've taken her all the way back to the point in Angola that was the origin place for for her her ancestors. So 
in doing all that, we came back and we were in high demand in terms of talking about the project. Um, there were constant interviews and appearances. Nichelle had to also juggle other work responsibilities. She was so busy that she didn't have time to deal with her braids, and as a result, kept them in much longer than she should have. When they got really bad, she wore a wig to hide them. Then, COVID. When it became very clear that we were going to be working from home for the foreseeable future, I finally had a moment to take care of my hair, to take care of myself. And I sat down and I tried to take these braids out of my hair and I came across obviously all kinds of knots and matting from just not being able to get to it for a few months. And I said, you know what, um, this is ridiculous. Um, all the, the stress that you're gonna go through to take your hair out of your head, you're in the house anyway, just cut it off. Just cut it off. You haven't you haven't seen the ends of your hair since August. You haven't been able to care for yourself properly. I'm talking about hair, body, anything else. You've been under so much stress and so much pressure at work and with other things that you haven't taken care of your hair or anything else properly. What's your hair actually look like now? What's the curl pattern? Do you even know anymore? So I just took some scissors, just some, some, I've got some barber scissors. So I just came upstairs to heel and got into the, the bathroom and cut all my hair. So at the end of maybe 10 minutes or so, I've got a bowl full of synthetic hair in my hair. And I look in the mirror, I'm like, yes, I'm free. So I just cut, I cut everything out, all the stress, all the hair, all the knots, all the tangles. I just said, well, you know, this pandemic is clearly an opportunity to pause and reset. And I say that with no disrespect to so many of the people that lost their lives. But for those of us who were spared the worst of COVID, it was an opportunity to reset. So I'm like, I'm just going to reset everything, starting with my hair. Well, okay. And that's a good place to pause. We're going to send you another link. <laughs> We do the reset. Um, and so is it fair to say your hair is healthy now? Absolutely healthy now. Probably the healthiest it's ever been or been in a very, very long time. Wow. So it really was a reset. It was a reset in several different ways. You know, people were doing, were reevaluating during this pandemic period. Um, reevaluating where they need to be in life, where they need to be in work. And I find myself doing a lot of the same things. I am very grateful that I've been able to do the work thus far. I didn't know when I started out in this career that I would be at a point of doing Black history, history of people of color, investigative history as my as my job so i feel very fortunate with that and very fortunate to be a writer particularly at this this point in history so in reevaluating where i am uh, my hair has come along for part of a larger 
part of a larger introspection, a larger journey that I'm doing overall. And in terms of I've gotten to this particular point, I'm going to stop and pause with everyone else and do a reset and just check in with myself. And where do I need to go next with the things that I am doing career-wise? Where do I need to go next with things that I'm doing personally? In what ways have I neglected myself? In what ways um, have I nurtured and cared for myself? And caring for my hair, nurturing my hair, as well as everything else has become important. And I find that the more that I pour into myself in terms of watching my stress level, um, watching and, and seeing how healthy I can be in terms of what I take into my body, including what I take into my body in terms of what I'm listening to, what I'm reading, um, different sorts of experiences that I'm having, that is contributing as well to uh, my desire to also take care of my hair. And I'm not untouched by having gone to Africa twice. Some people never get a chance to go. I have had the chance to go twice in two months to two very different African countries and experience where we, where we come from collectively in terms of the beginning U.S. story for Black people. And then where I come from personally in terms of having returned to having gone to West Africa and getting an understanding of that heritage and my and the parts of my heritage that I had not delved into. So so my hair is coming coming along and in the last six months, yes, it has grown probably more than it has since maybe 2018 or, or before. Um, my hair is no longer falling out, just um, alleviating the stress and taking the time to to really care for my health has means that it's, it's all grown back. It's longer, it's stronger than ever. And I've been able to take some time to see what it needs now, as opposed to what it needed three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Well, then on the heels of that, I mean, I'm gonna assume you don't have any natural hair doubts or you know, do you have doubts? Do you still um, wrestle back and forth with the, you know, I wish my hair was something else? No, and, and I haven't for a long time. I've, I've worn my hair natural, um, no chemicals whatsoever. Since I, and I take that back. There might have been a texturizer in there somewhere that I, that I didn't like. Um, but for the most part, no chemicals whatsoever since 1999 and I am content with the texture that I have um, how it's changing looser in some spots tighter in other spots um, curlier here less curly there I am content with that I'm content even with the silvers that have begun to to grow in here or there I, I consider those badges of honors because to be in our field, as you know, to have been in this field 30-something years is a testament to just our resilience in terms of being able to deal with the day-to-day -day of journalism, the day-to-day -day of 
of just what's happening in the world. So I consider my silvers as part of the package, the badges of honor. They mean that I've been through something, I've overcome something, I've, I've bounced back and I'm stronger and better. Final message to those who are considering embracing their natural at this juncture in history that you've so uh, poignantly taken us through. I would say to embrace your hair is part of embracing your own spirit, embracing your own self fully. If you can look at the hair on top of your hair, head and accept it for what it is, not judging it as good hair or bad hair or anything else other than this is the hair that I have. Um, you can go from there and judge your skin. You know, we've, we've been miseducated into judging our skin in terms of whether it's light or dark or good or bad. We can use how we approach our, our hair in terms of how we approach our body, in terms of how we approach our spirit and how we approach our life in general, just accepting what shows up and learning to accept and deal with, move with what shows up and appreciate it when it shows up. Thank you for listening to Hair, How I Grew It. I'm host and producer Drake Hill Burns. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Follow Hair, How I Grew It on Facebook and follow on Instagram at Keep It Nat. Tweet me at Hair, How I Grew It and tell me what you think of the show. Until next time, keep it natural.